Number Four, Part Two of The Heart of a Mystery by L. T. Mead and Robert Eustace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Number Four, A Conjuring Trick, Part Two. That night I followed Pinheiro into his bedroom. What do you think of matters? I asked. Can Mademoiselle Delacourt be at the bottom of this mystery? Ask me no questions, answered Pinheiro. I have hope, and it points in a certain direction. But I may be wrong, of course. If there is one person more than another whom I pity in this unfortunate affair, it is Miss Knoll. She is little more than a child. The man is double her age. What could have induced her father to consent to the engagement? Why, the girl is not even happy. What eyes you have, my friend, I could not help remarking. He smiled. Practice, he said, shrugging his shoulders. I left him and went to my own room. But although very tired after my long journey, I could not sleep. Evelyn's words haunted me. Discover the truth, she had said. How was I to do so? The next day, Sir James Pinheiro and Monk went up to town. But I remained at Worley Court. I felt tempted to take advantage of the opportunity to draw some further confidences from Evelyn, but she avoided me, devoting herself absolutely to her mother, from whose side she never stirred. The men returned in time for dinner, and just before dressing, Pinheiro drew me aside. I intend to do some conjuring tricks tonight, Finesse, he said. Back me up, will you? Certainly, but what a strange idea. Oh, I just want to amuse the company. I am rather clever at sleight of hand. We entered the drawing room. After dinner, Pinheiro proposed to act magician for the occasion. His proposition was hailed with pleasure, and Evelyn in particular expressed her approval. Fancy being in the presence of a real live conjurer once more, she said a man who draws ribbons out of hats and makes coins spin as if they were alive. This will be a return to my childish days. Be sure of one thing, signor. Whenever you score a trick, I shall clap you. Pinheiro laughed, and Monk drew near and stood by her side. They made a handsome couple, and a cursory observer would have argued well for the proposed match. In a few moments, Pinheiro was busy with cards, coins, hats, and handkerchiefs, delighting us all with his cleverness and sleight of hand. As I watched his deft, white fingers and the eager expression on his face while he made his passes, rattling off a patter with each new trick, I could not help thinking of the great conjuring trick, involving tremendous issues in which he was himself engaged. And now, he said, after he had amused us with his clever performances for about a quarter of an hour, I mean to give you my last, and I hope, my most remarkable trick. Will someone in the room write a sentence? Any sentence will do. Perhaps, Miss Noel, you will oblige me. When you have written your sentence, fold up the paper. Do not show it to anyone, but put it into that hat. Meanwhile, I will leave the room and write the same sentence outside. But how can you, cried Lady Noel, when you won't know anything about Evelyn's choice? Have you never heard of thought-reading, dear madam? asked Pinheiro, bowing in his most graceful manner. Evelyn tripped eagerly across the room, took a piece of paper, wrote something on it, carefully folded the paper, and placed it inside the magician's hat. She then placed it on the piano, where no one could possibly disturb it, and Pinheiro, taking up another sheet of paper, prepared to leave the room. "'I have left my pen upstairs,' he suddenly exclaimed. "'Will you lend me your stylographic pen, Mr. Monk?' Monk immediately gave him the pen, and Pinheiro left the room. He returned in a few moments, holding a folded piece of paper in his hand. 
Now, Miss Knoll, he said, will you read your sentence aloud? Evelyn took the piece of paper out of the hat and read in a clear voice, so that everyone in the room could hear her, the well-known proverb, Still waters run deep. Pinheiro smiled. He then unfolded his paper and read, with the calm assurance of a man certain of having scored his trick, the equally well-known proverb, Honesty is the best policy. There was a moment's pause of dead silence in the room. Then I exclaimed, You have not done the trick. Yes, he answered gravely, and I have scored well. There was something very peculiar and almost uncanny in his words. His eyes danced with triumph. Finally, they rested on Monk. I have scored, he repeated. I will explain, I hope, before your wedding, Miss Evelyn. Everyone looked surprised and disappointed, and Lady Knoll said in a cold voice, I fail to understand. When we went to our rooms, I said to Pinheiro, You really are an enigma. How can you pretend that you guessed Evelyn's sentence? Pinheiro rubbed his hands. I admit that I gave you all a hard nut to crack, he said, but the riddle will be explained. All being well, before the wedding, Finesse. Cheer up. Things are progressing favorably. Pinheiro, I said, I would give almost anything in the world to prevent this marriage. His eyes twinkled. How strange, he said. Those are precisely my sentiments. As he spoke, he left the room. The next morning, my friend and I both left Warley Court, promising to return the following Tuesday for the wedding. Sir James and Monk traveled up to town with us, and when we got to St. John's Wood, Inspector Scott met us at the station. I thought Pinheiro would have gone off with him, but, to my surprise, he expressed his intention of returning to my rooms with me. What are you going to do? I asked. I thought you would spend today at the war office. No, he replied. I shall spend today in your rooms, Finesse. Dear, dear, this is a wicked world. I could not get any information out of him, and gave way to a sense of annoyance. When time was so short and so much hung in the balance, how could he be content to sit down with his hands before him? Nevertheless, strange or not, this was precisely what Pinheiro did intend to do. He looked morose and disagreeable, and as far as I could tell, did not move a finger to elucidate the mystery. At last, the all-important day arrived. The wedding was fixed for twelve o'clock, but soon after ten, Pinheiro and I arrived at Worley Court. Already some forty other guests had assembled. I went to seek Sir James in his study. His face wore a very perturbed expression. Has Pinheiro come? he asked. Yes, I answered. Well, I must see him at once. The worst has happened. I am almost mad. Once more, my secret information has leaked out. This sort of thing cannot go on, and I must, of course, resign my position at the war office. I am bitterly sorry for you, I answered. Poor Evelyn. What a sad wedding day for her. Her attitude puzzles me also, said Noel, raising his anxious face to mine. I doubt if the child is happy. Her mother tells me that she cried herself to sleep last night. For heaven's sake, I could not help exclaiming. Do not let this marriage go on if there is any doubt on that point. Though it is the eleventh hour, there is still time to stop it. No, no, he said, after a moment of deep thought. Most girls are nervous on occasions like the present, and Evelyn always knew her own mind. Beyond doubt, she is deeply attached to Monk. She has had good opportunities of studying his character, for he has been my secretary for over two years. You would like to see Signor Pinheiro, I said after a pause. Shall I fetch him for you? He had sunk into a chair and buried his face in his hands. Now he started up. 
"'My thoughts are in a whirl,' he exclaimed. "'What with the wedding and this fearful, this disgraceful business, I do not know what I am doing. To tell the truth, Finace, I am disappointed in your friend. He seems to have done nothing to help us.' "'Neither can I understand him,' I answered. "'But here he comes to answer for himself.' The door opened and Pinero entered. A complete change had come over him. During the last few days he had been languid and even lethargic. Now a queer excitement filled him. He carried a small bag in his hand and also a long blue envelope. "'Sir James,' he said, speaking with rapidity, "'I hold in this bag the wedding present which I mean to give to your son-in-law, and in this envelope I hold something else. But to business. I am grieved to have to perform a most disagreeable duty at once.' "'What do you mean?' cried Sir James, springing to his feet. "'Have you found a clue?' "'It looks like it,' answered Pinero, opening the bag. "'But we will soon tell. Inspector Scott is here. He is in plain clothes. Do not alarm Miss Knoll. The matter won't take five minutes. Can I see Monk?' My heart began to beat. What on earth was going to happen? Sir James rang the bell. "'Ask Mr. Monk to be good enough to step here,' he said to the servant who entered. The man withdrew, and in another moment Monk, dressed for his wedding and looking particularly handsome, entered the room, accompanied by Inspector Scott. "'This must mean good news, Signor Pinero,' he exclaimed. "'You would not bring Inspector Scott down here for nothing. I hope that you are going to put all our doubts to rest.' By way of answer, Pinero drew a small sheet of paper from the envelope. "'This paper was signed yesterday in Paris,' he said. "'It was written by someone in England and conveyed to someone in Paris, the full particulars of a private dispatch written by Sir James Knoll last Thursday.' It is in the form of a letter, which is apparently written to a friend, but that is of no consequence. Is anything the matter, Mr. Monk? Nothing. Excuse me, I've forgotten a certain matter. I will be back in a moment. You must not leave the room just at present, sir, here interrupted Inspector Scott. You must hear the rest of what this gentleman has to say. Monk leant against the frame of the window. I saw that his face was white and that his lips trembled. Without taking any further notice of him, Pinero now produced some chemical apparatus from his bag. He proceeded to arrange it. When everything was in order, he looked straight up at Monk and said in a short, jerky voice, I propose, sir, to give you this as your wedding present. Now, pray listen. I must crave your earnest attention, gentlemen. I have here in this little glass vessel some zinc trimmings. Observe that I add some diluted sulfuric acid to the trimmings. Hydrogen gas is now evolved. This I will set a light to. As he spoke, he struck a match, and applying it to the opening of the little glass tube, a pale flame began to burn. So far, so good, gentlemen, continued Pinero. I now proceed to the next part of my interesting work. I will moisten a portion of this letter. Here he tore off a piece from the letter which he had taken from the blue envelope and dipped it into water. I add this paper to the contents of the glass vessel. If now this pale blue flame is changed to lilac color and gives me a black deposit at the bottom of this plate that I hold over the flame, he raised an ordinary dinner plate in his hand as he spoke. Arsenic is proved to be present in the ink with which it is written. We all gazed at him in utter amazement. Not one word was spoken. I had not the slightest notion of what it meant, but I noticed that Pinero's long fingers trembled as he added the moistened paper to the vessel. Almost instantly the flame changed to a distinct lilac color. He then applied the plate to the flame, and a black, sooty deposit was at once formed. 
When this happened, he looked up and nodded to Inspector Scott. Before any of us could move or utter a sound, the latter laid his hand on Monk's shoulder. I arrest you, Reginald James Monk, on the charge of high treason to Her Majesty's government. If a thunderbolt had fallen in the room, the sensation could not have been more profound. Sir James uttered a sharp cry and reeled back against the mantelpiece. His face was the color of clay. What does it mean? he exclaimed. You prove that there is arsenic in the ink of certain writing. What has that got to do with my friend? Monk, speak, man, speak. You look as if the devil had struck you. What is wrong? Why, you were just about to become my child's husband. Pinheiro, explain matters, or I shall go raving mad. Pinheiro glanced at me, nodded emphatically, and then stepped forward. My explanation is quickly given, he said. It scarcely needed a wise man to be sure that you had a traitor in the camp, Sir James. The question was, who? Why did I suspect Monk? I will tell you. He has lately come into a good deal of money, into sufficient money to enable him to be a suitor for your daughter's hand. I found on inquiry that he had lately received a legacy from an uncle. But this legacy, instead of amounting to fifty thousand pounds, as he gave you to understand, was only worth two thousand pounds. As I discovered that he had fifty thousand pounds in his possession, my wonder was naturally raised as to how he had obtained it. The diamond ring which he gave to your daughter cost five hundred pounds. I asked him the name of his jeweler the first night at dinner, with the express object of making this inquiry. He wrote the address of the men with his stylographic pen, and at that instant I saw my opportunity of a possible proof. I went to town, thought matters out, and arranged my little performance. You may remember, Sir James, that I did some simple conjuring tricks in your drawing-room last week. You will doubtless recall the fact that my last so-called trick turned out a failure. I told you then that I had scored. I mean now to explain how. I asked Monk to lend me his stylographic pen in order to write a sentence which was supposed to be the same as the one your daughter wrote in the hall. While there I opened the pen and inserted a grain of arsenious acid, such a small amount as would make no difference in the use of the pen. This happened the night before the next attempt at obtaining government secrets would be attempted. Everything now depended on whether the paper which was sent to Paris, and there seized by our man, had arsenic on it or not. I put the police on the watch, and an agent of Mademoiselle Delacourt's was arrested yesterday with this letter on his person. The handwriting would have afforded no proof, but the arsenic test is absolute. Marsh's test is so delicate that there was plenty of arsenic in the ink to give a reaction, as you saw. Pinheiro had scarcely finished speaking before the bride, in all her bridal finery, entered the room. Go away, Evelyn, go away. This is not the place for you, cried her father. I will see you presently he continued in a voice of agony. I want to hear what you are talking about, she replied gently, and her eyes traveled round the room. Tell your story to me, Signor Pinheiro. Nay, Miss Noel, he answered, the story is told. Go, Evelyn, go, I pray of you, said Sir James again. She did not seem to hear him. For the first time she noticed something unusual about Monk. He was standing near the wall. Inspector Scott's hand still rested on his shoulder, his eyes were fixed on the ground, his face was cadaverous. Into the girl's eyes now there leapt a curious light. A sort of unholy joy filled them. She went up to Monk and almost hissed her words into his ear. Have you broken your word? Have you been doing it again, traitor? And has he? She flung out her arm in the direction of Pinheiro. 
Found you out? Then I am saved. She tottered up against the table. Her breath came fast, her lips trembled, but her eyes were bright and tearless. We all clustered round her. Pinheiro took her hand. This man has been arrested on a charge of high treason, he said. If you have anything to tell, tell it now. Silence is no longer possible. Then I will speak, she said. She rose and stood before us. Think of me as you like, she said, but this is my story, my terrible story. Two years ago I met Mademoiselle Delacourt in Paris. I was a child, only seventeen. She fascinated me and got me into her power. Without intending it, I told her much about our life and my father's work. I was unconscious of having done wrong. Soon after we returned home, that man, here she motioned in the direction of Monk, applied for the post of private secretary to my father. I saw him first, for he came here, and he gave me, when no one was by, a letter from Mademoiselle. You are in my power, she wrote. Use your influence to get the post he covets for Reginald Monk. I read the letter in his presence and looked my astonishment, and he explained horribly. I was frightened, terrified. I fell into the trap. From that moment my life was hell. I was in his power as well as hers. For a time he was careful, and nothing apparently happened. But this year the work of treachery began. I knew that my father's secrets were betrayed, and I knew that he was the traitor. In my awful agony I cried to him for mercy. Then he made a compromise. If I would consent to marry him, he would leave my father's employment, and from the hour I promised to be his wife, he would never betray another secret. I promised, in order to save my father. Today was to be the day of my marriage, but he has broken his word. He has sold us again. She paused, uttering a cry. In an instant, her father's arms were round her. My darling, my poor darling, I heard him say. In absolute silence, Inspector Scott conveyed Monk from the room. Pinheiro and I followed. End of number four, A Conjuring Trick, part two.